Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is Christy Haberman, your host, and Kai the Wonder Dog. You can hear a little bit of wind in the background. I apologize for that. Um, We're getting ready for a winter storm. Today, I wanted to talk about anxiety in grief. As I have previously mentioned on the podcast, I am a licensed uh, mental health counselor in the state of South Dakota. I've been practicing counseling for over uh, 20 years now. It's kind of a little unbelievable. And I've seen a lot of changes over the years. But I must say that having lost a child has changed my counseling practice extensively. And one of the areas that has changed it so much is in diagnosing. So I wanted to talk about anxiety a little bit. So as a therapist, we are taught to look for similarities when people come in and say, I have anxiety. We have a list of criteria we go over. So I'm going to go over those a little bit with you, and then I'm going to talk about the grief anxiety and why I think there's a difference. And so this is coming from a therapist perspective, but this is also coming from a perspective of someone that has been diagnosed with both with anxiety. And I think that if I were to go to a therapist now, I'd be diagnosed with this persistent complex bereavement disorder. So understand the purpose of diagnosis is for payment by insurance companies only. So they try to take what's similar from one person to another person to another person and they make it into a diagnosis and it's purely for payment. I think it's critical to understand that. So when it came to grief, it used to be that grief was not paid for by the insurance companies. Uh, You had to be diagnosed with depression. You had to be diagnosed with anxiety, uh, some other post-traumatic stress disorder, some other diagnosis in order to get continued counseling for your grief. And I maintain that almost every unexpected death meets a criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Almost every grieving person meets criteria for depression. Almost every grieving person meets the criteria for anxiety disorders. What is different about it is that what I call the etiology of it or where it stems from. And I think there's a critical, critical difference with that. And so previously, there wasn't a diagnosis that covered just completely grief. So that's why they came up with this persistent complex 
bereavement disorder. I really don't like it because I don't believe that people that are grieving have a mental health disorder. Not at all. There's some natural consequences from having somebody die. And some of that is anxiety. Some of that is depression. Some of that is physical, mental. So I wanted to talk specifically about anxiety disorders. So if I were going to assess someone for an anxiety disorder, I would, and they usually present, affect is the way someone presents. So someone with an anxiety disorder, you can clearly see it. They're kind of fidgety. Um, They move their fingers a lot. Uh, It's pretty easy to see it in them. And they worry about are they saying the right things? Are they doing the right things? I don't know what to do. I've never been to counseling before. Those are the kind of things someone that has anxiety um, says. So the DSM-5, which is the current rule book for being diagnosed, says that excessive anxiety or worry occurring more days than not for the last six months. So to tell the difference between whether or not it's anxiety from grief or anxiety that was present before the grief, you would ask them about before the event. And usually for a good anxiety diagnosis, you'd go more than six months. You'd go back. How long have you had it? How long have you worried about it? Um, The person finds it difficult to control the worry. The anxiety and worry have three or more of the following physical symptoms. You feeling keyed up or restless on edge, easily fatigued, can't concentrate, irritability, can't sleep, muscle tension. And then it can't not be associated with a different disorder. So panic disorder is worrying about having a panic attack. What happens there is people have their first panic attack And then they continue to worry about having another panic attack, which actually increases the chances of them having another panic attack. It's like very circular thinking. Being embarrassed in public, a social phobia, not being able to, public speaking is very common. Germs, obsessive compulsive disorder, washing your hands. Separation anxiety disorder, that's what my dog has. That's why she's always in my room when I'm recording. She follows me everywhere. Uh, Fear of gaining weight, which is anorexia nervosa, or having a serious illness. And none of these can occur during post-traumatic stress disorder. So that gets complicated when you have someone that had a, a... relative died, let's say they were both in a car accident and one person died and the other person didn't. So the survivor might have post-traumatic stress disorder, so then you would not diagnose anxiety. It has to impair your social, occupational, and other important areas of functioning. And it can't be due to a medical condition, which is a substance abuse, a medication, um, thyroid disease. That is one that I always check Um, especially with women. Um, Menopause is another one. 
All right, so let's talk about grief and anxiety. And I have talked about this off and on through numerous different podcast episodes, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit deeper in this episode. So anxiety with grief is more focused on losing someone else, I feel like. And because because you weren't the one that experienced the death. So one of the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder is that you had to fear for your life. And I heard that's changing. But if someone dies and you start to fear death, but you haven't had like an experience where you had a serious illness or anything like that, you wouldn't be able to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. So we're going to rule that out. We call that. So those people would be excluded from this conversation about anxiety and grief. So what I have found personally, especially in the beginning, I actually had experience today where I could not stand the sound of ambulances. So Christopher was taken to the emergency room via ambulance. Um, his body was starting, we didn't know it at the time, but his kidneys were shutting down. His body was shutting down. He was essentially on his way to dying. But I didn't know that at the time, not till afterwards. So every time I see an ambulance or I see a car accident, I would call my son. Where are you? I'd call my dad. Where are you? Call my sister. Where are you? When people were away from me, it's similar to separation anxiety disorder, but not really. Like, but when people were away from me, like my husband is going on a trip this week. I worry that he'll die while he's gone. And all the worst case scenarios go through my head. Is he going to be in a car accident? Is he going to have a heart attack? It's never ending. And it just races through your mind. And I've talked to other grieving people that talk about this very same fear. That, and then I'm just scared to, I'm just scared to death to lose another person. And I'm scared to death because I'm afraid, I'm afraid I won't survive it. And as I'm talking to other people and in my grieving support groups, I realized how common this is. This grief, anxiety that is actually so different from a DSM diagnosis of anxiety and so different from post-traumatic stress disorder. It's like it is directly related to the loss of someone we loved. When I go away somewhere, my anxiety surrounds, am I going to die? Am I going to die in a car accident? What will my family do? Well, I don't want my son to go through what I went through, losing a parent. I, it's just never ending. 
So the way that you would treat generalized anxiety is that you would try to teach the person to lose control because basically that's what it's about is that somebody that's anxious never learned how to be safe in the world. It's about anxiety, it's about safety. So you teach them how to be safe. So the fear of public speaking, tell them to have confidence in themselves, practice, imagining people in their underwear. Have you ever had an experience that someone made fun of you while you were public speaking? That's usually what it's associated with. You address the negative airs that go along with that. That's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Oftentimes it's, I sound stupid. I don't like my nasally voice, things like that. So you help them work through that. The difference with grief is we're all going to die. As surely as we know our names, we know that someone is going, I mean, someone is going to die. If we have, I have an elderly parent. I know that he is going to die here soon. I don't know if it'll be in the next year or two years, but you know, it's coming. It's coming. You know, if I'm lucky, me and my husband will live a good long time. But it's possible he might die. And I think that's the piece that non-grievers don't understand because there's a safety in that, right? They go through the world and they operate in this world thinking that it's they're safe. It happens to other people. But when it happens to you, you constantly worry about how to make it stop happening. And you can't. And you it brings up these feelings of powerlessness. Extreme feelings of powerlessness. And unfortunately, many of us have struggles with feeling powerless. So Eric Erickson said, either learn to trust or mistrust your environment between zero to two. And I really believe that. And I believe that if your needs were met as a baby, food, shelter, clothing, nurturing, this is a critical piece, nurturing, then you learn to trust the world. When you already mistrust the world and grief happens, that mistrust is just amplified. Because you already knew that the world was kind of a scary, untrustworthy place, but now it's just been confirmed. So your worst fears are confirmed. And if you felt that the world was a safe place, see, guys, I can't decide what's worse. So if you 
if you felt that the worst that life was a safe place and you lost someone unexpectedly think of the betrayal you would feel you would feel just betrayed that um how could this happen to me because the world was a safe place the world was a safe place until my child died and i'm not sure which place i would rather be i'm actually current i am in the i mistrust the world and then it just confirmed for me that the world is untrustworthy Whereas on the other side, I never felt like the world was safe, so I don't know what that side's like. But we all end up in the same place, which is that we have anxiety related to our grief. And so how do we cope with that? That is the question. Because there are still, there are still times, like, in, I'm a therapist, you know, I give people advice all the time on how to cope. You journal, you meditate, you know, but when it comes right down to it, you have to learn to live with it. And I think that's where we're at with anxiety and grief. And we have to be understanding of ourselves. I cannot emphasize this enough. Compassion, compassion for self is the key. And understanding. Because there's often judgment from the people around us that are like, how come you can't let that go? Why do you are trying always to make the world safe? I was reading some comments in my support group about having adult children after you've lost one. And I can really identify with that. My son then went on vacation this summer, drove all the way to Florida, like 3,000 mile trip. And all I could think about is what if something happens? What if something happens to him? It wasn't, oh, they're going to have a good time. That was not what my thought process was. What is going to happen? What if he dies? I don't know. And that's the other thing, too, is that when Christopher died, he was not married. So I had control. So I got to decide where he's going to be buried. I got to make the funeral arrangements. I had to clean out his house. But it'll be different if my son died because he has a wife. And then I'm no longer in control. And that would be that would be even worse. So then the anxiety even gets worse about that. And I have a good relationship with her. That has not that has nothing to do with it. And it has everything to do with my experiences when my son died and my fears of what will happen afterwards. And I really fear regret. I had a lot of regret when Christopher died. I second-guessed every decision I've ever made. I, I beat myself up badly for mistakes that I made as a parent. We all make them. Those are the things that I don't want to feel again. And that's where my anxiety comes from. It's like I'm trying to put a wall between those feelings and it happening again because they were so intolerable. 
And that's where I think, that's where I think this anxiety comes in. And we have to, and here's the other thing. And it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. And I cannot emphasize this enough because we have to talk about it. I just feel like the only way that the world is going to change if we talk about these things and we talk about how difficult it is and we talk and we talk some more and the more we talk, the more we normalize. And so I feel like that we should be able to talk about these things in the mainstream, not in our private Facebook groups, out in the open with our families. And the only way we're going to do that, if we have some brave souls out there, like me, like you, that are willing to tell their stories. It's the only way. Breaking down barriers. Coming out, if you will. Very similar to the brave souls that came, that um, started the movement for coming out. The pride movement. We need to be able to talk about it. And my son understands to point, you know, but I don't know that I've ever sat down with him. Here I say we got to talk about it, but I don't know that I've ever sat down with him and said, I'm fearful of what will happen if you die. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to tolerate that. He's very empathetic, like our whole family is. We're um, extremely sensitive people, and um, he can feel things and knows things about people, which I think is really quite difficult for him. But he doesn't engage in a lot of risky behaviors either. But I do know also that I have a lot of anxiety surrounding. So Christopher died of cancer. I have a feeling that if you had someone die from suicide, you'd worry about your other kids um, trying to kill themselves. Or if you had a love, your child die in a car accident, you'd worry about that. Or having been murdered, you'd worry about that. I think we all have our little areas that we have more anxiety than others. But I will tell you that the illness piece of it is one that I just panic over. He tells me he goes to the doctor for something and I mean it could be a little thing and I'll make it a huge thing because that's what happened with Christopher. And I can't get that memory out of my mind. You know when you trust doctors right you trust them. Trust them to make the right decisions. You trust the nurses and that was a mistake in my case. Because how they didn't know that his body was shutting down. So they he went into the hospital. Maybe this will explain it a little bit. Uh, he went to the emergency room. And then they sent him to the cancer care center. When they sent him to the cancer care center, they did not hook him up to any monitoring equipment. Heart rate, um, breathing, nothing like that. They just put him in, They just put him in a room. And he died in that room. He had two people in the room, 
Maybe someday I'll tell this story. He had two people in the room with him that watched him die and didn't notice. That's the other thing. That's the other thing that I get so anxious about. I want to be there. I want to be there and I want to watch. I don't want anybody else to die. But I can't control that, right? You have a life. <laughs> Most people have to work. I have to work. If I don't work, I get depressed. And so staying home is not an option. So I just have to get through it. It's one of the reasons why I don't telework. Considering it, getting a job where I can telework, but part of me knows that that would not be good for me because I would struggle. So this anxiety that we feel, I think we just have to accept that it's part of our grief. That it's something that that's always going to be a part of us. And have compassion towards each other about it. So I was looking at this persistent complex bereavement disorder. I've just kind of ignored it. It came about after I became a therapist. And it really, I think it came into the DSM around the time that Christopher died. I just felt like it was stupid. I just ignored it. But today, when I was going to talk about anxiety, I took a deeper look at it. And I'm like, they might as well have just said it's child loss complex bereavement disorder. It says, yearning and longing for the deceased. Preoccupation with the circumstances of the deceased death. Intense sorrow and distress that does not improve over time. Difficulty trusting others. Anxiety. That's what that is to me. Anxiety is difficulty trusting. Depression. Detachment or isolation. Difficulty pursuing interest or activities. A desire to join the deceased. Persistent feelings of loneliness or emptiness. An impairment in social, occupational, and other areas of life. And then it says normal grief versus complex bereavement disorder. I just, ah, oh, just gets me all worked up when I talk about it. But they might as well have just called that losing your child disorder. But also, I noticed that there's no anxiety listed there. But I very much know that it's a thing. I feel it. I see different other people talking about it. So what I want to say about the anxiety and grief. Is that I think that is normal. I think that if we accept it, that we're anxious, like instead of fighting it, instead of going to the doctor and getting medication for it, instead of all of those other things, if we just accept that we are anxious and work with it. And what I mean by working with it is address our negative um, our negative beliefs about it 
So when it comes to my son and illnesses that I get so scared about, I use cognitive behavioral therapy to address that, which is just addressing the negative belief. So the negative belief is he's going to go to the hospital and die. Okay, so that's not very likely, right? Especially when he's got a sore throat. So I have to tell myself. Is that he might die, but it won't be this time. Because he's going for a sore throat, or he's going for this, or he's going for that. I have to walk myself through it, through talking. If he's going on a trip, well, what will happen? Well, he has a good car. They have nice tires. I can trust that he knows how to drive. All of those things, you got to talk yourself through it. I do a lot of talking in my head. And sometimes I can seem distracted to other people or not really listening. That's because I'm talking to myself in my head. I'm working something out. If you would like to hear more about how I talk myself through coping with the death anxiety of losing another child, leave me a message on Grieving Insomniacs on Facebook or Instagram. I also have an email, grievinginsomniacs at gmail.com, and I'll gladly do an episode of it. I hope that this episode helps you understand the uniqueness of anxiety after the death of a child compared to other types of anxiety. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Please like and subscribe where you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you for listening. This is Christy Haberman signing off. I hope you have a good week.